lays out what the church is. Okay, so we're completing that today. Chapters 4 through 6, which we'll be going through over the next uh, month and a half or so, is how we are to live, given that we are members of the church. So just that little brief recap here. And the other point that um, is significant here is Paul is issuing words of prayer and encouragement to the church in Ephesus. And it is one of four books that he has written. That is Ephesus, there's Philippians, Philemons, and Colossians. And the point, uh, the other point about these words of encouragement that he's offering is the fact that he is in Rome, but he's not in Rome you know, enjoying the great Italian cuisine, seeing the sights. He is in prison. He is in prison in Rome. And as you read through much of what he writes, they are words of encouragement, but they never are directed at himself. He recognizes that he's been given a gift of, with his salvation, and he's to bring it out to the world. And so he focuses outward and not inward. And so I think that that's a significant point of instruction uh, for each and every one of us as we go forward. The last thing that Paul has done, at least in the first half of Ephesians 3, in the first half of Ephesians 3, he reveals the great mystery. And you've heard this in some of the prior conversations or prior teachings from the people who've been in the pulpit, is that he reveals to us all that there are no more outsiders and insiders as it relates to the Word of God, that we are all part, partakers of what Christ's death on the cross has provided for us, a way to be with God. And so I think that that's uh, just, again, a little bit of a recap of where we are at this point. And today's text, again, the second half, for verses 14 through 21, and today's text focuses on a prayer for spiritual blessings. Uh, if we could bring up the, uh, the text, and uh, you can read, but uh, I'll read it for you as well. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner beings, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. That, <laughs> no, that... Uh, Every one of those verses is a sermon in and of itself. Uh, so um, I'm just going to 
probably just scratch the surface with some of this and hopefully provide us with some, with some words and some textual context as well as how we go forward with this and what it means for our lives. Verse 19 of, uh, of that section basically speaks to Christ, uh, Paul's desire that we would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge and that you may be filled with the fullness of God. That fullness is Christ, what Christ has exhibited of God's character, his attributes, his holiness, and it is our, to be our desire to live that out in our lives. We are sanctified. We are made right with God through what Christ has done on the cross. And we want to move from that knowledge to being filled. So God's work is always, it's always working in us. It's been working. It's, always, it's, all, it's continually working. We've been saved. Now, that level of work is going to continue to work in us as believers. It's to drill down deeper so we can be expressions of that love that God has promised us through Christ's blood and that's been exhibited by the Holy Spirit and given to us. So why is Paul issuing this prayer? And I contend that he realizes that the sanctification that we are to be aiming toward, that maturity, that growth in Christ, that fullness of God, it can only come through prayer. And it's because of that, and the reason that that is, it's because that in prayer, it expresses our dependence on God our acknowledgement of what he has done for us, and it drives our hearts to be continually aligned with what God wants for us. That can only come through a committed prayer life. Our prayers are good. We pray all the time, I think. A lot of the time, though, I think... uh, I will confess, sometimes they get a little bit perfunctory, a little, little routine, you know, they maybe lack some of the, the urgency, the fervency, the real, the level of commitment that I think God wants out of me. So I don't think he ever dismisses them, but if I'm looking at myself and Maybe you don't have this issue in your lives, but uh, sometimes, I hate to say it, maybe we go through the motions a little bit, you know, where really what he wants us to do, he really wants us to walk our talk, okay? We say we're believers. We say we want that which God wants for us. And at the same time, you know, our expressions aren't always consistent with that. So I I think that this is what Paul is getting at, realizing that we are not going to grow and mature in Christ without continual committed prayer. 
what I'm going to walk through with uh, the following, the next uh, for the next few minutes and some of the verses here is we'll start with how Paul prays. We'll go to what he's praying for with some context as to why, and then we'll finish with what it means to us on a practical level. Uh, verse 14, for this reason, I bow on my knees before the Father. This reflects um, a posture of submission. In that day, early in the church, prayer on your knees was not the norm. People prayed standing up, and, um, and even, if I were to say probably many of us today, you know, we're praying, we pray throughout the day and things like that, but we're praying running, running here and there and things like that, and we don't step away and put ourselves in a position where we've removed all distraction and we've submitted ourselves and our minds to engaging with what God has to say. Related, uh, related to that uh, for a little bit of context, if we go to Matthew 6, verses 5 and 6, a little bit of a reinforcement here of what I think Paul is referring to. And when you pray... You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees you in secret will reward you. Now, the bowing on my knees, I know as we get older, bowing on our knees is not the easiest thing to do anymore. And so I, I don't think we have to take that um, and be legalistic about getting on our knees. But I think the bigger issue is that we prepare our bodies, that we set ourselves away from a lot of the distraction that could keep us from focusing on the word and what we're bringing to God, okay? It's something that uh, getting on your knees is, is good. It's good. It, again, it removes distraction. I, I, I know that when, when I do it, uh, you're sort of like, okay, I'm here for some serious business now because this is beyond... Uh, the normal or the typical, the typical stance in which I uh, start to engage in prayer. <clears throat> Excuse me. Verse 15, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. This is an acknowledgement of the creator and that we are products of Christ's grace, or God's grace and mercy through Christ. And yes, we have distinctions, sure. Short, tall, rich, poor, black, white, uh, whatever. But those distinctions are without any significance in God's eyes. And the first part of the ver of, uh, verse uh, excuse me, chapter 3 of Ephesians brings that to bear. 
Again, no outsiders, no insiders. We are one as we come before God. If we look at Galatians, the book of Galatians, chapter 3, verse 38, one of the things that uh, is, is emphasized here, just for clarity, that there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. With these two verses, 14 and 15, I think what we have here and what Paul is conveying to us is a clear picture of when we come to prayer that we want to clear ourselves of any preconceived notions or any distractions or anything that would keep us from engaging in a meaningful dialogue with Christ. I think that that's very significant. I think it's more than, um, more than just words, and I think it's something that I try to engage in or exhibit in, in my own life, in my own prayer life. Uh, try to get to a place where the distractions are removed and not coming to God with any preconceived notion about what I want, but to open myself up to prayer, up to what his presence has for me, what his word has for me, and how I can express my acknowledgement of what he's doing, what he has done, and make myself aligned with his will. That is a how portion in those two verses here, verses 14 and 15. Verse 16, as we move, move ahead here, that according to his riches and glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with the power through his spirit in your inner being. Obviously, this is a huge request for strength very significant, and, and that strength, that strength that he's asking us to pursue is a confidence, an assurance, our assurance of our position in Christ and in what God has provided. We want that assurance, we need that assurance, and it's, it's critical that we know where we stand. We need to have that as, very, as firmly rooted as we possibly can have it in our lives. Matthew 10, 16 uh, brings some emphasis to that. And this is part of why we need to be assured to have that confidence. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be as wise as serpents and innocent as doves. If we are not confident in the word, if we are not confident of our position with God, uh, the world's going to eat us alive. <laughs> um, I would 
probably uh, make this as an understatement. The world today, and it always has been, the world today is, is hostile to what we believe. Uh, not looking to get political in any way, shape, or form here, but uh, if you look around where the state of our country is, people who believe as we say we believe, we are at the quote-unquote risk of what they call being canceled. We are at the risk of losing our positions in workplaces. We are in uh, a position that we're ripe for being hassled for any, any particular reason for the sake that we say we believe. So for that reason, we need to be prepared. We need to be confident in who we are. We need to be confident that as we go out into the world, that we are sound, we have faith, that our faith is not something that is gonna be wishy-washy, is not going to blow away with the first winds or the second winds or the third winds of the negativity that can exist out there in the world. John 17, 15, uh, another point I wanted to emphasize here, and this is what Christ has said. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. You've probably heard it said over the time, or the course of your time as a believer, that if if God's only intent was to save you, that when you became saved, he would have taken you home immediately. And we're all here. So there is a purpose. There is a purpose for us as we walk this earth. And as we walk this earth, we need to walk it with confidence. Again, we need to be assured of our position because he has called us to do something else, which is to convey his love and his character, his holiness to a very hurting world. This was not any different from you know, what Paul experienced back in Rome at that point in time. The world was hostile to believers at that point in time, particularly as he was preaching that now, not only Jews had access to God and his salvation, but that it was open to the Gentiles. So they, he, they were openly, he and the other apostles, they opened themselves up to, to random attacks, to hostility. And as the world has evolved, quote unquote, that hasn't changed. That has not changed. So as believers, we're not just saved, you know, to, to be little China dolls set on a shelf to look at. We are there to move forward into the world to present God's word and his message. I'm going to move on to verse 17. 
So Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love. I think that that's, that's something that is a next step in some of that growth and maturity. The being rooted and grounded in love is, is significant. Not only do we have to be confident in our position, that's, that's, a, that's almost step one. Step two is continued, um, uh, it's like a, pra- it's continued practice. It's a rooting and a grounding in love. If I were to, uh, you talk to the worship team and the skills they exhibit, okay, over time, this has just been practice, practice, practice. Okay, you started at one level and the continued practice and the continued engagement in that you get better because you drill down deeper. You drill deeper, 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 and you become more capable, okay? That is how you get rooted, okay? You don't just, you just don't, uh, you're gardening, you just don't plant, you just don't plant a seed. You go out and you continue to nurture that seed. You water it, you weed it, you make sure that it has the proper nutrients. You have to keep continually going back to that particular, that seed or whatever it is, your professions. You start at a level and you get better if if you're growing. And our prayer lives are to reflect that similar sort of process in many of the commentaries that, uh, that I read in preparation for this, it gives that distinction of dwelling in a place to become, or getting to dwelling in a place as opposed to just visiting a place. If you think about it, oftentimes uh, people will go on a vacation somewhere and they'll be there for several days or a week or whatever and they're in their, their hotel room or whatever, their rented house or something, and they're there for a couple days and then they leave. But then later over time, perhaps, that same individual or individuals decide that they are going to uproot and plant themselves and move to that place. And their presence there is at a different level. It's rooted now, it's, they've elected to be grounded Okay, and with that, they are no longer just um, what's the, dilettantes. They're just not just vi- they're not just visitors anymore. They are inhabitants. Okay, and with that, it gives you a greater sense of, for, uh, for want of a better term, ownership or engagement or involvement in the community that community that you've gone to. Okay, you've been to this place before and, you know, you're doing, doing certain things and you're engaging, but it's really more surface level, okay? Now you've moved and you're putting your roots down there. Your involvement, your level of engagement with that community is going to be more consistent. It's going to be more concentrated. It's going to be more committed, because now this is where I've chosen to plant my flag and and live my life. This is the nature of where we want to be as far as our continual feeding on the word. And 
to establish a more unshakable foundation. If we go to Ephesians uh, chapter, uh, actually chapter earlier in chapter 3, in whom we have boldness and confidence through our faith in him. Uh, significant. That's how we develop that boldness, by drilling down and getting deeper into the word. Another related uh, text that I wanted to bring up is out of the book, again, out of the book of Matthew, verses 13, 20 through 22. And you're very familiar with this, with this passage. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this was the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. This is the nature, I hate to say it, of our lives as we don't get, uh, get rooted, get more firmly rooted in the word. Something's gonna come along. I mentioned uh, just a couple minutes ago, the world is hostile to us, okay? We have to have confidence in where we stand with God. And this is the next level. This is the, ra this is the rationale. This is the proof. This is the conveyance that we can utilize as we share with the world. What is the reason for our faith? That we know the word of God. We've drilled into it. We've uh, we've. We drink it in, and it becomes more of a part of us, and so it becomes more significant. And so it's almost, it's a deepening, it's another level. It's another level in us getting, route, getting rooted and establishing ourselves with God because the world is going to come. The storms are going to come. Many of you are probably going through storms right now, and if you're not... Let's wait five minutes. Something's going to come. Something's going to come. And, and, this is, and the other thing about that is that you want to, and I want to, and we all want to, you want to be prepared before it comes. You want to know how you're going to respond. And now, every situation is going to have some differences, some distinct characteristics, but if we are going to rely and be dependent on God, we need to know how we're going to respond with God's word, why God's word is relevant, and we need to be able to call on that. It needs to become automatic like that. And, uh, and that is a process that is never-ending because Lord knows um, I know I could do a far better job. And I think if we were to be honest with ourselves, we could all do a little bit better job. But the point is that we need to be more deeply rooted and more deeply grounded in the Lord and in his word.
Verse 18, to gain wisdom, which is knowledge with understanding. You know, Paul talks about wanting us to have strength to comprehend with all the, with all the saints the breadth, the depth, the height, and the length. I missed, uh, missed those. Breadth and length, height and depth, okay. But the whole point, that is the comprehension of everything that is out there. The, the total comprehension of what touches the world, what touches everything that we're involved with. That is how we gain wisdom. He wants us to be rooted and grounded so that our knowledge becomes wisdom. Our knowledge is relevant. There's no question about it. But until it gains a greater depth of understanding and application, it is just that. Um, I could tell you, you know, uh, people talk, uh, one of the big things these days obviously is, oh, I don't know how to do something. Well, let me just go on YouTube, on the computer. Oh, I can, I, let me watch this five, five minute, 10 minute video. Oh, this will tell me how to do it. Yeah, it does. But until you've actually engaged, okay, you don't have the wisdom. I may gain the knowledge, but I don't have the wisdom. You know, uh, let's, oh, I can, I can do this home repair. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, sure, sure you can. Yeah, sure you can. It's, it, and uh, uh, for instance, uh, obviously my brother Jason uh, recently helped me with something around the house, which technically not that difficult. Technically, I could do. However, his skill set in this realm is light years ahead of my skill set. And so what would take him 15 minutes would take me a little longer. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and again, could I do it? Yes, I could. But again, it is that type of thing that recognizing that I have, the, I have knowledge, but I just don't have it applied. I don't have it drilled down significantly enough where I can be uh, where I can be wise and being efficient. Luckily, I had the wisdom to call him. So um, that is, and that's significant. It's significant to us. Um, we need to have wisdom. We have a lot of biblical knowledge, okay? Even though if you were to listen to a lot of the studies, they say we're probably as more biblically illiterate these days than we've ever been in this country. Uh, but I still believe there's a tremendous amount of whiz, or knowledge out there, but the application of that knowledge into wisdom is what gives it impact. And without that, um, we're, we're, not, we're not helping ourselves and we're not helping the world in which we're called to make a difference. Um, I didn't um, actually, let's, 
Let's go to, to Matthew 13, 23. We were just in uh, Matthew chapter 13, and we were talking verses 20 through 22. I intentionally left out uh, verse 23. I think, it's, I think we've got it there somewhere. Um, if not, I will give it to you. Basically, verse 23, okay, we were talking about the seeds that fall on different levels of ground, okay? And I intentionally left out verse 23 and to share it with you at this point. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case 100-fold, in another case 60, in another 30. But that point of not only gaining knowledge, but applying it, the point there is the good word, which is God's word, on good soil, which is our hearts, and applying that, and when it's understood and applied, that's what yields benefit. That's what yields benefit to ourselves. That's what yields benefit to our loved ones. It, that's, the one that, that's what yields benefit to those whom we don't know, okay? We need to acquire wisdom. Um, back in the, and that has always been something that God has always been trying to press upon his people. Even in the Old Testament, I looked at uh, the book of Hosea, he, uh, Hosea 4, 6, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because you've rejected knowledge, I reject you from being a priest to me. Um, not a light admonition, now that was given to the people of Israel, but while we're not the people of Israel, we are the people who are part of the universal church. We are God's kingdom now. As we said earlier, there are no, there's no slave, no free, no Jew, no Gentile, and so on. We're part of this. If we don't have knowledge and we don't apply that knowledge, we, are not, we have no wisdom. We are not exercising what God has put us in place to do and what we are to be doing. Verse 19, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Again, the fullness of God, this is, this is that maturity. This is coming full circle with where God wants us to be. We need to, again, we need to be growing. We need to be maturing, okay? And we cannot say that we're maturing if we're not fully immersing ourselves in the Word, doing so on a regular basis. That's how we grasp the fullness of God. It's a process. It's a, it's a long process. And like any process, sometimes you're going to do really, really well. 
Sometimes you're not. You're going to stumble. You're going to fall. But if you pick yourselves back up and recognize that what you're doing is to honor God and to serve the kingdom, it will all come to you as benefit over time. I truly believe that, and I truly believe that that's what Paul is trying to convey to us in this. We've talked about how he prayed. We've talked about what he's prayed for and the why. So, as we pray, and we, uh, I'm leaving off intentionally verses 20 and 21. That will be our benediction, which you've heard. But again, that speaks to the tremendous abundance of what God has in store for us and what he's provided for us. So, we pray. Again, if truth be told, a lot of the time our prayers are, are, are important, but they're almost, in some cases, they're reactive. We don't go out proactively praying. You know, yes, um, there are conditions that come our way, and yes, we want to pray or those we don't know about, but we want to almost be anticipatory. We want to go out proactively. We want to say, I'm coming to you, God. I don't know what's coming my way, but I want to put everything that does come my way before you. I want to acknowledge where I am. I want to give you gratitude, you know, and exhibit my dependence on you. I want my will to be aligned with that which you have for me, and I want to have those opportunities to communicate to others what your love is. Because as I exhibit the love that Christ has given to me, that is the fullest way in which I am able to serve others. That's some of the, I guess, uh, the scriptural or the textual background of how Paul's praying. And again, I think of it in a, a micro, you've heard of the terms micro-macro. This is a macro view of prayer. He doesn't drill down into, um, you know, gee, I could use some warmer clothes in this prison, not being too well-fed. You know, he doesn't, he doesn't go down into the macro. He stays, he doesn't go down into the micro, excuse me. He stays at the macro level that he wants the church to be strengthened. He wants it to gain deeper roots that are grounded in him. Those are the things that are going to be long-standing. Those are the things that are going to maintain the unshakable foundation that the church needs as it goes forward into a world that is hostile, has been hostile, is hostile, and sadly enough, will probably always be hostile to us. And you need that, um, you need that unshakable foundation. Uh, the world's out there, you need to be prepared. You need to be aware. Um, we are saved. We've got great things ahead of us, great things. 
They're not all going to be on this side. They're not all going to be on this side of glory. But what God has saved us for is to share him to a hurting and suffering world. On a practical basis, uh, yes, we got to pray. we got to remove distractions. As I was preparing here, as... Uh, I know I've, I've talked to Pastor Moses and, and anybody who's ever prepared uh, a little bit of a message has come across something in the, in the course of the week that you're sort of like, okay, how am I going to do this? What am I going to say? You know, and how am I going to make sense of anything? And I don't know if I've made any sense today, but it's um, during this week, I stepped away and I went to my daily devotional. And my daily devotional is out of a book called My Utmost for His Highest from Oswald Chambers. If you do not have a daily devotional, I would recommend this highly. Uh, a warning, it's not light fare. <laughs> it is not an easy, it's not an easy devotional. It is one that is really, it's a pointed uh, it really is a pointed devotional, and it's, it's, not, uh, it's not a fuzzy one. This was this, was this week. Uh, this, was, this was Wednesday. The Spirit of Jesus is put into me by way of the atonement by the cross of Christ. I then have to build my thinking patiently to bring it into perfect harmony with my Lord, God will not make me think like Jesus. I have to do it myself. Um, again, uh, this is, there's, there's a requirement here. He has saved us, which is great. And, and it's something to take total refuge in, to be, to be excited, to be ecstatic about. And at the same time, with with a gift or with the privilege comes responsibility. That was Wednesday. The day after was the following. No one is born either naturally or supernaturally with character. It must be developed. Nor are we born with habits. We have to form godly habits on the basis of the new life God has placed within us. We are not meant to be seen as God's perfect, bright, shining examples, but to be seen as the everyday essence of ordinary life exhibiting the miracle of his grace. Drudgery is the test of genuine character. The greatest hindrance in our spiritual life is that we only look for big things to do. Uh, again, a little bit of a... A little bit of some direct speaking, but it's what we need to hear. It's what we need to hear. We have a responsibility based on our position. We are to be moving from knowing what we are to being what we know we are. And, and I hope you got that. There is a bit of a distinction. We know who we are. But now we need to be moving forward 
in maturity and being who we know we are. Think of it as um, being dropped with, uh, you went home today and, or tomorrow because there's no mail delivery, but somebody delivered you a check for $100 million, okay? You're in a, you're in a whole different position now. And there are things in which how you'd probably act or live your lives in a way that would be more aligned with someone who had $100 million, okay? I contend we got a whole lot more than that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as always, we praise you for this day. We praise you for the words of the Apostle Paul. We thank you for the guidance it gives us. We pray, Father, that we would be growing and maturing, being more of the people you've called us to be. You've left us in this world, Father, to communicate and to share your love, to share your character, your attributes, your holiness. Help us to open our hearts to be aware of what is around us and what is our responsibility that we should be taking on joyously to deliver that which is before you. I thank you for every brother and sister here, Father. I thank you for how you're working in their lives. And I just pray that each and every one would be able to turn their hearts to you in a deeper, more consistent, more committed fashion as I pray the same for myself. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you.